Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Roar Lions War podcast. This is the first uh, Penn State game preview of the year, so I could not be more excited about this. I am one of your hosts for today's episode, Bill DeFilippo, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, one, Mr. Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on, buddy? Oh, you know, nothing much. Just a typical Wednesday night leading up to the finally, finally here first week of Penn State football. Yeah, like, I don't know about you, but for me, it's just for so many reasons. It seems like this offseason has just taken forever. Like, both between, you know, the various uh, angry people that have been in the Penn State community who have been trying to call for James Franklin's job, even though he you know, should still have a job and all the news that we've heard in college football. Like if I hear the word satellite camps one more time, I'm going to get furious. And now that's all gone. And we are actually talking about football and how there's football this weekend. And I cannot wait. I actually feel like it's been a pretty quick off season until the last like few weeks or so. I feel like it really started to slow down because I've been getting excited to See more heads offense and yeah, all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's been the other thing. It's just been like, oh hey, like once Penn State plays football, it's going to look like a fun, explosive football team again, which that'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to that. I don't know about you, but yeah, so yeah. do we have anything good going on in this episode of the pod or we have some great things going on because we are previewing Kent State, of course, Penn Woo! State's opening day opponent. And unfortunately we are joined by <laughs> <laughs> Matt. De Bear, the football manager for Roar Lions Roar. Matt, how the hell are you? Well, I was doing better before that. Um, I didn't know <laughs> if I could even call that an introduction. You, but, you, uh, uh, in fairness, how did you not see that one come? Uh, I, honestly, I expected better from Nick. <laughs> he, he, he can go so much lower than that. <laughs> ah, he teaches children for a living, so he has to at least put on the facade of happiness. It's true. They get to school next week, so I'm starting to ramp up positivity again. <laughs> all right. But yeah, Matt, what's going on, buddy? This is uh, the first time we've all podcasted together in a while. This, yeah, it's, it's the inaugural uh, whatever this is for a Roar Lions War with uh, this, this bunch of fighters. Yeah, we're Roar getting... Lions Radio, sir. Roar Lions yes, Radio. Yes, yes. I, I even named it and I forgot it. So yes, Roar Lions Radio. Yeah, we're going to hope – our hope throughout the season is – uh, that we're not just going to have our staff members on, although you can expect to hear uh, Matt and some other members of the Roar Lions Roar staff on. We hope to get some other people who can provide insights either on Penn State's opponents uh, throughout the year or just, you know, just national college football people <laughs> that we know who would be willing to come on and, you know, put up with the silliness that Nick and I uh, go through. And, of course, we're going to – we didn't do it this week because we kind of had to throw this episode of the pod together after our original plan fell through, which is why Matt's on. But we were going to do Love our, being the backup plan. Always and forever, Matt. You are the Kevin Newsom of people that appear on this podcast. <laughs> That's but, the nicest thing you've ever said about me, though. <laughs> But yeah, we will, of course, bring back Real Pen Live comment or not on future episodes of the pod. Uh, but for now, we're just going to keep it nice and easy. And I'm going to do my usual spiel uh, in which I tell you guys to go and buy Roar Lions Roar t-shirts. Uh, we should be getting a new shipment of shirts in soon. But for now, this order, there aren't many left. You need to go and get your new favorite t-shirt. These things We've said this a million times, are the softest, nicest t-shirts that you're going to own. We have the Block Ghost, we have the other Keystone shirt, and we have the Bunch of Fighters shirt. I own the Bunch of Fighters and the Block Ghost. I wore the Block Ghost around 
State College the other day, and I had a lot of, um, how do I put this, children scream at me because they thought it was a cool shirt. So make sure you go out, buy a shirt. It's how Matt feeds his family of nine children, and they're just really nice shirts. You deserve it. And now that that's out of the way, guys, are you ready to talk about Penn State football? It's about time. It's about Might as well. damn time. And I think the best place for us to start, and this is, in all seriousness, the reason we wanted to have Matt on, is because a few days ago he penned an article in which he said, welcome to the biggest Penn State football season in a decade, in which he basically argued that the 2016 season is the biggest year that Penn State football has had since the 2005 season. And Matt, I won't ask you to uh, rehash your entire article, but if you just want to give us a general overview uh, of what your reasoning is for saying that this is the biggest year that Penn State has had since the magical 05 season? Well, in general, I think it was more of a, a big picture kind of look at where the program was after the 2004 season heading into 2005 and just kind of the general atmosphere around the program during that offseason versus what we've gone through the last eight months um, from 2015 to 2016 now. And I, as we were talking about this earlier, I don't think my point was necessarily made entirely clear. I don't think that James Franklin has to go out and win, win 12 games and come within two seconds of, of going undefeated in the regular season like the 2005 team did. My, my point I was trying to make was that from an overall direction of the program, a down year this season, the impact it will have in 2017, 2018, and down the road um, is as significant as it would have ha- as a down year would have had in 2005. Um, I don't think the the litmus test for James Franklin the team is necessarily that you know you got to win nine or ten games to to turn down the temperature on on his seat. I think it's more of a look more like you have the program going in the, in the right direction. We all know the reasons for um, the struggles of the last two seasons, um, and really when you look at it in the big picture successes of the last two seasons to uh to still manage to finish over 500 both those years facing the roster situation that they were in because of uh, the sanctions of course um but i think there is right or fair or not there is a an impression out there that penn state's very stagnant and for a guy who came in selling progress and a new era of Penn State and very positive as James Franklin's done for the last uh, two and a half, almost three years coming up in January, that the substance hasn't matched what uh, hasn't matched the hype. And so I think the, the program needs to show that it's trending the right direction. That's, you know, of course, winning games, being more competitive um, with you know, teams like Michigan and Ohio State, and Michigan State, the, the big three in the, in the Eastern Division. But also looking more competent on offense. I, there's a bunch of adjectives we could choose to describe <laughs> the, the Penn State offense of the last two years. But um, I think for the, the talent they brought in, seeing that on display way more than it's been, um, seeing the offensive line start to take a step or two, um, that will naturally translate into wins, I think. But it's not a. My my point wasn't that Penn State needs to win ten games this year, or else James Franklin is getting fired or going to be on the hot yeah. seat. It's more of a sh- show the progress that you've been you've been selling 
to recruits to the fans to the university um, start to show signs of that on the field finally. Yeah, I, that's the thing that uh, I think could have kind of gotten lost in translation a little bit. And it was no fault of your own. It's just when I think when people read someone saying this is the biggest year for Penn State since 05, the thought <coughs> process is, well, in 2005, Penn State went into that season at a bit of a crossroad knowing that if the team uh, didn't win – it was probably going to be looking for a new coach. And you were not at all arguing that about how, you know, if, if Franklin doesn't, you know, have a really great season, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be out of a job this offseason. Like, uh, and quite frankly, if Penn State had a, another really bad, after the last couple of years, if they had another really bad year under Paterno in 05, there's a chance that Penn, Penn State would have had I don't know, Penn State head coach someone? Mark Richt? I don't know. Like I, I Rick think Neuheisel? The, the question or the answer that we'll never know or the question we'll never know the answer to is if that 2005 team won eight games um, with that yeah. freshman class, what would that have meant long term? Exactly. Keeping in, keeping in mind that the previous two seasons, um, they had won a total of seven games. Yeah. Uh, three and three and nine and four and seven in two thousand three and two thousand and four, and four or five losing seasons. I think about the record I had during that five year run from two thousand to two thousand four was twenty six and thirty three with just the one bowl game in there and the one one winning season. Okay. Um, to go from four and seven, eight and four in in two thousand five, with especially with you know as we all know Paterno's legacy, uh, especially where where it was at that point in time. Um, probably would have been enough, especially knowing that they had that really talented freshman class with Derek Williams and Justin King, among others, headlining it. I think that would have shown the program was trained in the right direction. I think that's that's really what what the what Penn State needs to do this year. Like I said, show that they're trending in the right direction. Yeah, and Nick, I kind of want to bring you in uh, on this. Uh, you and I, you, uh, we've made it pretty clear that we haven't uh, grown up Penn State football fans, but we like to think that we've gotten to a point where we have an idea of what has, you know, what the last decade, two decades of Penn State football are. So do you agree uh, with Matt's overall uh, statement that this is the biggest year for Penn State since 2005? Um, yeah, I'd say, so. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily disagree if somebody wanted to argue 2012, obviously. Yeah. But um, in terms of, kind of ignoring the off-field stuff and just thinking about in the kind of boy it really is hard to argue against 2012 actually now that I say that but um in terms of like thinking about what this season means for the future in terms of recruiting and what this season means as far as uh coaching staff going forward and things like that then I would definitely agree that this is a huge season for all those things I mean if you Show if you come out if you're Penn State and you come out with another boring team that's not really getting the job done any more than the very very basic form of what you can do to win football games, then guys like DeAndre Swift, Mark Webb, other big time recruits, maybe even guys like Ricky Slade in 2018, those those recruits start to go away. And as much as people like to talk about how, oh my, our school. Our school is the best at turning two star kids into NFL prospects and star players. That's fine. You can be good at that. But 
as our friend Bud Elliott over at SB Nation has pointed out pretty clearly, you need, if you want to win championships, you need blue chip recruits. It's just how it is. More talent breeds better results. It's, I mean, it's pretty obvious. So, in, I mean, even just thinking about recruiting, this season is incredibly important going forward for Penn State. And if they want to continue recruiting the way they have under Franklin, and they, and if Penn State fans want to get back to what their perception of what Penn State should be, then yeah, this is an insanely important season. Yeah, and that's especially big. And this is something that I know that uh, we've mentioned on the site, we've mentioned talking to each other, but there are plenty of blue chip recruits in this class. The two that come to mind for me are guys like Mark Webb and DeAndre Swift, who seem like they want to that they are really, really interested in coming to Penn State and they would like to come here, but it would just be hard to justify going to a school for a head coach who, if the Joe Moorhead hire doesn't work out, and I think that, no surprise, we all think it is going to work out, they would be much more inclined to come to Penn State as opposed to, say, Georgia or Alabama or Clemson or a school like that. Uh, But yeah, So, I mean, we'll go on a quick tangent here and just talk about recruiting. And, Nick, I'll throw it back to you before heading over to Matt. But let's hypothetically say recruiting is the big thing that Penn State – I mean, that's kind of what Franklin's bread and butter is. So let's say Penn State's able to go 7-5 and or 8-4 and and the offense looks really good. How much bigger is that than, say, 7-5 and or 8-4 and but – the offense doesn't look like it's going anywhere, or seven and five and eight and four, and the team's playing a bunch of 24, 17 really gross games that just don't seem aesthetically pleasing to anyone watching, including recruits. Well, the biggest thing is going to be the look of the offense, because as much as people like to, I mean, obviously, you want, if you're a recruit, you want to commit to a team that's winning, obviously, and that's a factor, but I don't think it's nearly as big of a factor as people think it is. Uh, from talking to kids, one of the things that always stands out to me is one of one of the main things they always talk about when you ask them, why are you interested in this school, or why does this school appeal to you, why did you commit to this school? One of the first things I always say is, the schemes are a good fit for me, the offense is a good fit for me, I like what this coach does, I like what this coach does. It's, it's not necessarily about just being on a team that wins it's about being on a team that you can see yourself being set up to potentially go on to the nfl or be see yourself being set up in a offense or defense where you can succeed that's what's important most important to a lot of these guys so penn state needs to show that they can be interesting on offense this year if they go seven and five honestly people recruits are smarter than people give them credit for sometimes they're not they don't see a penn state team at seven and they're not going to see a seven and five team that's exciting on offense at all they're just they're not just going to write them off because they're seven and five like if they can see progress from what they were last year then kids will still be drawn to penn state because they'll say oh okay well they may have might have only gone seven and five this year but with me on this team and that scheme that's that's a nine win team like that that's that's kind of the thing they're thinking so it, i'd say it's definitely more important to have a more interesting and at least more exciting offensive look yeah i mean that's kind of thing i think that 
so frequently when people talk about recruiting, we fall guilty of this too. Sometimes we will say that, you know, there's a big difference between six and six and seven and five or seven and five or eight and four, something like that. When, like you just mentioned, Nick, if it's a seven and five, but it looks like it's a brand of football that a kid could come into and be a huge difference maker, that's way different from, say, oh, I don't know, seven and five and the last two years of Penn State's offense or something like that. So that's big. And Matt, I kind of want to go to you and kind of going back to the 2005 point, we, uh, you said that that year was big just because the cr- program was at a bit of a crossroads. Do you think that the argument that in 2016, the biggest thing when it comes to like, you know, success and all that, the big crossroad is where Penn State is with some of these recruits as when just when we're talking about future success and the things that would impact that the most under James Franklin. I think you're absolutely right. I think the biggest thing to look at to why I feel that way is look how Ohio State's recruiting. Look how Michigan's recruiting. Matt, if there's one thing I don't want to do with Seth's look at how Ohio State is recruiting because there's well, just no, there is no hope for any of us. Like, No, they, you have to. It's, they are at this one, I, I want them to get every five points. It's incredible. It's, uh, Jesus. Uh, well, if you don't want to look, then just take my word for it. But the, the point being that Penn State is in a division with two programs that are recruiting at a top five at least, if not top you know, elite number one level in the nation. And like you were saying, you can talk all you want about turning two stars into five stars, but you're not going to make your living playing Michigan and Ohio State. And even Michigan State starting to recruit more of those four and five star kind of players. Um, not at the percentages that Michigan and Ohio State are, but still bringing in a, a sizable number of blue chip recruits. And the fact is, you're going to get passed up talent-wise by those teams. You might steal a game or two against them, but you're not going to compete every year with all three of them if they're recruiting at a high level. Yep. And the one thing, and Nick talks to these guys to these recruits way more than I do, so I will certainly trust him when he talks about what they feel is important. The one thing that I think the wins and losses is key for in 2016 and down the road is coaching stability. Um, These guys want to go to a a school not only where they're going to be featured and the scheme fits what they're going to do, but they're also going to be coached by the same guys um, for their four or five years, three, four or five years on campus, unless one of them, unless they have success and they, you know, get a promotion, you know, positions coach, the coordinator, coordinator, head coach, that kind of thing. And so I think a 7-5 and five kind of year, um, even if they look more, like more fun at getting to 7-5, and five, the temperature of James Franklin's chair is going to be very warm, um, fair or unfair, um, if, if it's another 7-5 and five year and you're not competing with the Michigans and Ohio States of the world that are the, the cream of the crop, not only in the, in the conference and the division, but nationally as well. And so I think that stability factor becomes huge with another seven and five kind of year. I, I, I hate to make it come down the wins and losses because it's so much more gray than that in the, in the big picture. But I, I feel like a seven and five kind of season, well, certainly in the realm of possibilities, as you'll read about in the site, but uh, you read about today, I guess. We had the prediction roundtable. 
um, kind of seven and five to nine and three team is what a lot of us feel. I, th- I feel like there's going to be a lot of pressure, whether it's, it's legit or not, you're going to have fans talking about, you know, 2017 being a crucial year for the coaching staff and you're going to have national voices talking about it. And that puts the, the voice, puts the thought in recruits heads um, regardless of what the staff's telling them, they're having other coaches talk about it. They're reading about it. They're hearing about it everywhere they go. Um, so that's that's where the, the crossroads comes from for me. Interesting. Well, uh, I think we have spent a lot of time discussing crossroads, um, and I think it's about time that we get to the point where we kind of put the big picture on hold mostly because Penn State's going to be a 10 win team in 2017 and it won't matter either way what we're talking about now but mostly because like we said at the top of the pod a football game is happening in Beaver Stadium on Saturday that is such a fun thing to say it's been so long since we've gotten a chance to say we are getting ready to watch Penn State play football and no matter how difficult the last a couple of years have been from an aesthetic point. There, it's just been so much fun watching various elements on these Penn State teams. Like 2014, it was watching Deshaun Hamilton break out in a big way and Anthony Zettel become just this terrifying defensive tackle after moving in from defensive end, having the big personality match all that. 2015, it's Saquon Barkley. It's Austin Johnson. It's Anthony Zettel playing awesome again. It's Carl Nassib going from walk-on to the best sack, the best sack man in all of college football. 2016, we have no idea what's going to be that big storyline for Penn State football, but all we do know is that there's a chance that that storyline, we start creating that narrative this Saturday when Kent State comes to town last year. Kent State, not the best team in college football, went 3-9, and nine, uh, their final S&P Plus rank was 115th in the country. Uh, looking at their schedule last year, they got a pretty big win over mighty, mighty Delaware State, but uh, beat Miami of Ohio and beat UMass, but that was basically it. I mean, Dino Babers ran them off the field at Bowling Green. They got crushed by Illinois 52-3, to which is always a good sign. But yeah, I mean, what do you, uh, we'll start with you, Nick. What do you kind of, just expect to see in this game against the Golden Flashers. We know they have a good defense. We know they don't have that good of an offense. So this almost seems like, in terms of what we're seeing out of the opposing team, exactly what we want for Penn State's home opener. Yeah, I think you're actually overrating them by saying their offense is not all that great. Their <laughs> offense is atrocious. Uh, it's It really is a really nice opening week opponent for Penn State uh, because one they get the chance to kind of test out this new <laughs> offense against a I, it's it's a strong defense like it's there there's nothing like there there are no kitty gloves with this defense it's a very good defense it's it's not one that will be impenetrable thanks to how terrible their offense is uh, but it's a very good defense, so it should be a really good chance to see what Joe Moorhead's offense can do against a solid defense. And it's also going to be a really nice way for the Penn State defense to get a little confidence boost heading into the Pitt game, the Temple game, the Michigan game, uh, because as we know, Penn State's defense is talented on the surface, doesn't have a ton of depth, uh, 
new coordinator, but and they're going to need something early in the year uh, to kind of prove to themselves, like, hey, we can be just as good uh, without Carl Nassib, Austin Johnson, and Anthony Zeta. Like, we'll be just fine, and this would be a really good chance to do that. Yeah, I agree. Um, one little thing that uh, I mentioned to you two before we came on to uh, the podcast was that uh, if there is one thing, if you're going by experience, Kent State has a lot of on offense. That's offensive linemen. They return three, uh, no, four of the five guys that started at least 10 games last year. The good news is that they were last in the country in stuff rate, which is one of Bill Conley over at SB Nation's outstanding advanced metrics, which is defined by this is the percentage of runs where the runner is tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. So, 27.7% of the time when Kent State tried to run the ball, the running back got stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage. So for a Penn State, de- uh, let, let's assume they get a little bit better, but not to the point where they're, you know, a Burt Arkansas offensive line or something like that. So for a Penn State defense, Matt, that seems like it really, really needs to figure out what it's doing at defensive tackle above basically everything else. Not saying that, you know, the guys they have are bad or anything. It's just there's uncertainty heading into a week two matchup against a pit offensive line that's going to push them around a little bit and some running backs that are going to try and run right through them. It seems like, like Nick said, this is an opportunity for Penn State's defense, especially up the middle, to get a really good confidence boost against a team that is uh, not very good at stopping people from running up the middle on them. I wrote about it in the preview that's going on on the site tomorrow, and I admittedly have not watched a lot of Kent State films, so I was relying on second- and third-hand reports on this. But I think, going back a little bit to the little bit I did see last year, um, primarily that Illinois game that you mentioned, and also the Minnesota game from, I believe, was last year as well, um, they try and do a little bit of everything with the run game. They, try, they do a little bit of zone read, a little bit of true option look, they also, especially in the Minnesota game last year, tried to kind of run right at was a pretty good Minnesota defensive line, um, especially um, in the middle. And so I think from that perspective, it's a great first test for a defensive line that we're probably going to see some parts moved around, a number of guys rotated in, um, especially at defensive tackle, as, as you mentioned, having two new starters there and really a whole new rotation that is, needs to be figured out over the next couple of weeks. So I think from that perspective, you're going to be tested mentally a lot in terms of um, you know, staying disciplined, uh, staying home, that sort of thing. But also some things you're going to see in week two against Pitt and week three against Temple, against a couple of better teams, you're going to see that against a team that physically you're just better than. You're bigger, stronger, and faster than them at every position that's important. And so I think it's also a great test for uh, Naeem Wartman White getting yep. his first action in over a year, um, sliding back outside after um, moving inside last year. Um, Jason Cabinda, who had a solid first year, uh, well, first year playing, playing regularly, um, but we also saw some young player moments from him as well where didn't, you know, athletically seem to be in position, but mentally didn't make the right read or didn't see the block or whatever it might be. So I think, like I said, from a mental perspective, I think it's a great, great first, first test for a a defense that has a lot of moving parts. 
I agree. And for all of you, uh, while you're listening, if you'd like to follow along as we discuss what Penn State's depth chart uh, looks like, we'll be sure to put a link to our post on the depth chart in the comments. But right now, it looks like Kevin Givens and Parker Cothran are the two guys who are going to get the first call at defensive tackle. Parker Cothran, big Big, big old defensive line tackle. The kind of guy who's gonna he's gonna eat up a little bit of space. He's not as big as an Austin Johnson, but he's still a pretty big dude who is going to free up some space for Gibbons, who by all accounts seems like the kind of guy who once he comes into his own is just going to be a matchup nightmare for guys in the middle. Just strong, fast, athletic, basically uh, just like some a kind of defensive tackle that you just really don't see because you don't see guys this strong and fast and athletic. Uh, so Nick, we'll do one last uh, little question on Penn State's defense versus Kent State's offense before we move on. Outside of the defensive tackles, what is the thing that you were most interested to see out of this unit? Hmm. Aside from the defensive tackles, probably, um, I mean... In a, not a great way, the safeties. Uh, Marcus Allen pretty visibly took a step back last year from where he was as a freshman. And I'm not terribly high on Malik Golden. So I'm curious to see if the offseason and the fall camp this year has done anything to kind of change my impressions of those two. Because they both have talent. I mean, for sure, it's... They have both have undeniable talent, particularly Marcus Allen, who we saw as a freshman was just a heat-seeking missile who tackled everything in his path. Um, he just needs to kind of contain his aggressiveness a little better. But I, I'm really interested to see those two for this week, for the entire season even, um, because if they can step their game up, then that changes the whole dynamic of the defense. Penn State's pass defense last year was phenomenal, mostly thanks to how uh, ferocious of a pass rush they had. So even though their cornerbacks uh, are very good, they need the safeties to kind of help them out back there to continue that success as a passing defense. And losing Jordan Lucas uh, will make that a little more difficult for them. So I'm really curious to see if those two are going to be able to step up. I think for me, the big thing that I'm looking forward to, I am really not worried about Penn State's first string guys on defense. I mean, along the defensive line, Sickles given Cothran and Schwan, I think that's a pretty solid defensive line. And I think Garrett Sickles is especially going to have a big year this year, at least numbers-wise they didn't get a chance to have last year because he was overshadowed by some dudes. The linebackers, Wortman, White, Cabinda, and Bell, that's, uh, that's certainly not the best in the country. I'm not saying that, but they are up there with just about any other linebacker group in the nation. Just a really, really good linebacker group. And then I'm kind of with you, Nick. Uh, I have some worries about Allen with how he took a step back last year, which was partly because he just set the bar so high. But I think he's pretty good. I think John Reed has the potential to be a really, really good cornerback. And I like Grant Haley a lot. Uh, Malik Golden, like you said, some concerns about him, but I think he'll be generally fine this year. I want to see the guys backing them up. There's so much youth in these second and third teams for Penn State. Like Just going down the list, Ryan Buckholtz, Robert Windsor, Torrance Brown, three of the four, and Antoine White. Antoine White, I believe, is a senior. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, I believe he's a junior. Junior. 
So yeah, Buckles, Windsor, Brown, White, no seniors there. I mean, the backup is at the linebacker position. Two of the guys listed are Brandon Bell and Naeem Morgan White. So past that, guys like Jake Cooper and Manny Bowen, I want to see what they can do. I want to see what Christian Campbell and Troy Apke and Koa Farmer and Garrett Taylor. Just I want to see these reserves get some run because it happens every college football season. One guy gets an injury, and it doesn't seem like it's going to be that big, but then a backup has to step in, and it's just different, and they may not be prepared. And I think against a team like Kent State, where one, Penn State has the potential to have a comfortable lead heading into the fourth quarter, and two, it's not an especially great defense. This is a great opportunity to see what Penn State has behind the guys on the first team, and maybe seeing, hey, Maybe a guy like a Torrance Brown starts really pushing Evan Schwan for a starting position. Or maybe Troy Apke starts really pushing Malik Golden or something along those lines. So if we can get that somewhat figured out against Kent State, I'm going to feel really, really good heading into the rest of this season. And another thing that would make me feel really good is if the offense could score a whole hell of a lot of points. Uh, that's been the issue the last few years, Penn State's offense. Uh, has shown some flashes, but it didn't show enough flashes to justify offensive coordinator John Donovan keeping his job. He is out right now. Joe Moorhead, the former head coach from Fordham, came in. Uh, we all love him. He is awesome. He's, uh, along with being a very unique offensive mind and the kind of guy who seems perfect to breathe some new life into Penn State's offense, he's just like a really cool dude. So we're all cheering for him. And we're all hoping that his first game is a rousing success. And uh, Matt, I'll start with you. This Kent State defense, uh, while it's not—I mean, it's definitely not going to be the '86 Bears or anything like that. But last year they were ranked 40th in S&P Plus. Uh, they bring back a bunch of dudes on their defensive line. They have to replace their middle linebacker, but they have plenty at linebacker. And according to Bill Conley in his write-up for Kent State Secondary, he said your ground game better work because he really, really likes what they have in the secondary. So this is basically the perfect thing, the perfect defense for Penn State's new offense to kind of get its footing against. It's a good enough opponent that, or at least I would argue, and I'm going to see if you can argue against this, I would argue that this is a good enough defense that we can see what Penn State has on offense with Joe Moorhead's new system, with Trace McSorley under center. And it's just good enough that we're going to learn something, but not good enough that we're going to worry about it going into the fourth quarter and it's a 10-7 to football game. I think that's fair. And first of all, Antoine White's a redshirt sophomore. Just really? to clear that up from your yes, sir. He's that was seen, my second guess. I, he's kind of like Sterling Jenkins in that if you ask me how long he's been in the program, I'd say 35 years, and I'd probably be wrong. So he, He's actually a 28-year-old redshirt sophomore, but ah. I, I, I digress to, to your question. No, I, I think you, you're spot on with this is kind of the, the, the perfect test for an opening game, knowing what's coming in the following three games in September. Um, it's a... I don't want to say it's a 3-3-5 stat kind of defense, but it's not the way Kent State runs it. And again, this is from, from reading previews and, and other things out there on the, on the internet. They, they do a lot of different sorts of things on defense. They don't run that you know, a 4-3 or a 3-4. They kind of move some guys around a little bit. Um, and uh, Dan wrote about this on the site earlier in the week, that front seven um, 
isn't bad. And as you said, their S&P was in the 40s last year. Um, Bill Conley really likes their secondary. I don't think as a whole they're, they're a dominant defense, but I think they're good enough to test Penn State enough where they, they don't feel necessarily really comfortable um, you know, lining up before the play um, in a good way. Where you know you're not, you don't know you're going to run up and just be able to you know line up and run the ball eight yards per snap right at them. Um, you have to do some things. You have to have to open up the offense a little bit, but not so much where you're putting the entire playbook on tape for for Pitt, Temple, and Michigan in the following games. But you're gonna you're gonna have to do enough where it's not just going to be you know hand the ball to Saquon Barkley yeah. or Andre Robinson or Mark Allen or hopefully Booby Sanders a little bit too. You're going to have to throw the ball a little. You're going to have to move Trace McSorley around a little bit. You're going to have to do some things that test just where this team is when you're lining up against a guy wearing a different jersey than you, which is, I think, if you ask any coach, really what they're looking for in the first game. As much fun as a game like Texas Notre Dame or Alabama USC or some of the other big games to open the season are, I think most coaches, because of the way college football is where you don't really have a preseason outside of scrimmaging yourself having that that first game at home against a team that you're just more talented than and you know should should beat but it's gonna test you a little bit is really what they're looking for and i think that's um like we talked about on defense and now on offense really what penn state's gonna get this weekend um but not to the point like you said of going into the fourth quarter on the edge of your seat wondering if the coaching staff's gonna make it through september <laughs> Well, I mean, we'll save that last thing for discussions after the pit game because that's going to happen. Those conversations may are definitely going to pop up if Penn State loses that game. I'm a little more pessimistic about that than you guys are. Neither here nor there. We'll talk about that next week with someone who is better than Matt on the podcast. Uh, Nick, I want to go to you for a second, and let's just talk about the guy <coughs> that you are watching outside of Trace McSorry because I think the obvious answer for who – what one player are you going to watch the most? Is Trace McSorley or Tommy Stevens, if you think Tommy Stevens is going to get some serious run, just because anytime there's a new quarterback coming in, it's what should we expect out of this guy? What are we going to get out of this new dude, especially someone running a new system? So outside of the quarterbacks, who is the one player that you are trying to keep an eye on for this game against Kent State and why? I kind of have two that are tied. Yeah, I don't know if I can pick just one. Uh, no, I say two. First would, first would, I really have three, but I'm going to go with two. Uh, first it, would be. Yeah, it's, it's your party, baby. Do what you want to. If you name the we'll entire offense, we'll I'd be very upset. We'll <laughs> All right. So first would be uh, Brendan Mayen at okay. left tackle because I'm really interested to see if his winning the left tackle job was more of a function of. Paris Palmer and Noah Bay and whoever else not being ready for it as opposed to him really taking it by the stranglehold and earning that left tackle job because we saw him play right tackle and that's kind of where he's been at his best uh, while he's been at Penn State. So I'm really curious to see what sort of progress he's made and if he really is looks like he could be a left tackle all year. Um Another guy I'm really looking forward to watching and really interested is in, interested in is Said Blacknell. I we've seen him in very limited bits and pieces 
And it sounds like now he's finally going to have like a true carved out role on the offense as the uh, number two guy after Chris Godwin on the other side of the field. And I, I'm just really curious to see how they use him because we know that he can be the big play guy. We know he can sprint down the sidelines and get open on a deep ball. But that's not really what Joe Moorhead's offense is about, and that's not really Trace McSorley's style of play. So I'm curious to see what sort of progress he's made as a route runner and what sort of things they ask him to do. Um, and then I guess the third one real quick would be, again, on the offensive line, would be Ryan Bates. I am of the belief that Ryan Bates is ready to be a collegiate-level run blocker as a high school senior. Uh, he was that good. I'm, I mean, we've heard the coaching staff raving about him for the last uh, full year. I mean, every every you heard about them considering Bernie as redshirt a few times last year. He was playing that well. So I'm curious to see, one, uh, where his pass blocking's at. I know he's playing from a guard spot, so it's not as prevalent. But I'm curious to see what he looks like there. And I'm just for him, I'm honestly just more excited because I'm I'm ready to see the first run play with Saquon going behind him and Bates just bulldozing the first guy and getting to the second level far quicker than anything Barkley has been used to previously. Yeah, the thought of like an offensive line that is able to open up holes for Saquon Barkley to run through is something that has kind of kept me going this cold and dark offseason. I'm gonna pull this up. In a second, this is going to be some really, really good podcasting. But we mentioned a minute or two ago that Kent State's stuff rate on the offensive line was 128th in college football. Uh, my computer's being slow. My computer's being slow. Like I said, this is a great moment in podcasting. Uh, yeah, Kent State was 128th nationally in stuff rate at a – where is that – Damn number. Here we go. At a 27.7% clip. Not great. Penn State was 120th at a 25.1% clip, which meant that 25% of Penn State's runs made it to the line of scrimmage and then didn't go anywhere. So we've heard James Franklin. He has really hyped up this offensive line. And uh, listen, it's the offseason. Coaches are going to do that. But Let's say he's not just hyping it up because he's an optimistic dude. Let's say he's hyping it up because it actually looks like a really good offensive line. That means that we are going to see, potentially, Saquon Barkley build big time on his freshman year, which is something that I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, But yeah, Matt, I kind of want to go to you for really the last question here, which is, like... Should we take too much away from this game? I mean, and this is something that I, you kind of answered it, but this is something that I think comes up in just about every season opener. Uh, people want to make knee-jerk reactions. People want to say, this is the big thing we're taking away. Oh, we put up X number of points on you know, a MAC team. That means nothing. Or we put up a lot of points against a college football team. That means a lot. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but how much do you think, all things considered, we could take away from this game heading into week two, week three, week four against teams that are probably going to have pretty solid defenses in Pitt, Temple, and Michigan? I'm, I am a big-picture person by nature. Okay. Um, I, just by the, the way I you – know, the, the things I like to write about and kind of how I, how I view – Especially where Penn State is as a program right now, I don't think you know none of us are fooling ourselves thinking that this is a a, a national title contender or a Big East <laughs> conference contender. 
be great if they were, but I don't think you know we're not we're not at the level where you have to look at you know the offensive line, you know individual matchups or receivers versus specific defensive backs, that kind of thing. What I what I'm looking for and what I want to be able to take away is like I talked about right up, up front, the direction the program is going, seeing signs of an offense that is able to get out of its own way and do some things, um, seeing a defense that shows signs of, of plugging some of the holes that have been opened by graduation. Um, I don't expect to see all the answers. I don't think we'll see all the answers this season, really. Um, we'll see flashes of answers, hopefully, and hopefully more good flashes than bad. But see, you know, looking for, for the trends um, from it's been it'll be just a little over eight months, I believe, since the last time we saw a Penn State football team play another team, um, <laughs> discounting the blue-white game. And so seeing the progress that's been made, the changes that the new offense has brought, um, you know, seeing what guys, you know, some of these first-time stars like Kevin Gibbons and Parker Cothran and Saeed Blacknell taking on a bigger role, um, all the changes along the offensive line, um, just seeing, seeing guys progress. You know, a guy like John Reed, who I think we can all agree had a really good freshman year but probably was relied upon a little bit more than they would have liked to just because of the nature of, of the depth of that position. Certainly was capable of playing, but probably played a bigger role than, than you want a, a true freshman cornerback to be playing. Watching him take the next step, because I think, as you guys remember, he was probably my favorite player out of that, that last recruiting class um, in 2015, the 2015 cl- class that signed. Um, seeing him take the next step, seeing these guys that are now in their third and fourth years in the program that have had minor roles taking on bigger roles. I'm a big believer in not just offensive linemen and defensive linemen needing, needing that time in the program to just mature physically, but everyone. You know, It's very rare... You know, no matter how talented you are, to be able to step on step on the field and do what Saquon Barkley did last year as a true freshman. Um, so seeing a guy like Brendan Mann, who's in his fourth year in the program now, seeing a guy like Gaia, who's now in his third year on the offensive line, um, seeing these guys that that you hope are at the point in their development as football players to take the next step. And I think there's a lot of guys that are set up to do that, um, and hopefully we're seeing a lot of them. I'm taking the the first signs of those steps this you know on Saturday going into the rest of the year. You want to know the one thing that I want to see? Tutties. Well, that. But I meant specifically one thing. I want to see eight catches, 140 yards, and two touchdowns for one Mike Gesicki. I love this dude. He was. I, I've mentioned this, but I went to media day uh, when it happened earlier in August and. You know, walking around, you see athletes all the time when you're on Penn State's campus, but you don't really, like, you just kind of get it to be second nature. Gesicki, I did, like, a triple take because this, he is a legitimate six foot seven, however tall he is. We've seen that he is a really good runner. He is a, an insanely good athlete. And out, when he wasn't in his head last year, he had some really impressive moments, but I think that we all agree, and Franklin has kind of said this, that last year he got a little bit too far into his own head. It led to some issues with drops. It led to some issues with blocking. I'm excited for Joe Moorhead to walk in and see that he has this six foot seven beast of a human being who can dunk, who can run as fast as you would want out of a tight end. And use that to his advantage. I want him to have a big game, mostly because I am rooting for him on a personal level. Neither here nor there. So, I think it is at the time where 
we give predictions for this game. So let's just let, let's have a little bit of fun. We will give score, but we're going to start with you, Matt. Who was the first Penn State player to score a touchdown this season, and how do they do it? I went with Deshaun Hamilton on the new poll we just put up on the site uh, earlier this evening. Oh, go vote in that, by the way. Absolutely. It's right on there on the front page, com. Shameless plug for our website. <laughs> um, I am going to say Deshaun Hamilton on a slant over the middle from about 15 yards out, catch and run. Uh, maybe, we'll say he, he, he shakes off a tackle to get into the end zone. Okay, cool. And what do you, what do you got for the score on this one? Uh, you will see it on the site on Friday, but I have 28-6 to six and kind of a basic, fun, not too, too stressful first game of the year kind of performance. Awesome. Nick, uh, same questions for you. I think the first touchdown of the year goes to Trace McSorley on Ooh. an option keeper run from the three-yard line. Okay, and what do you got yeah. for the final score of this one? Uh, again, you'll see this on Friday as well, but I am going to go with 41-3. to three. I think that... <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. 40? I... Is it, are, you allowed to, are you allowed to score that many, many points? Every now and then. Uh, let me see. When, did Penn State drop 40 in a game at all last year? 37 <laughs> against San Diego State, 39 against... Yeah. Penn State did not score more than forty points in a game, forty or more points in a game last year. So that's, I don't remember what that feels like. That, yeah. that would that would be amazing. In fairness, thirty-nine yeah. nothing against Illinois. There'll, there'll be a lot of hugging if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But yeah, I see. Um, I think the starters put up somewhere in the realm of like twenty-eight to thirty. Uh, we'll say like thirty-one points. And I think the second team actually does a little bit of work and gets like 10-ish points on their own. Uh, So I think a Tommy Stevens and Andre Robinson, Mark Allen, Miles Sanders, Juwan Johnson, Irvin Charles, all those fun guys will have some fun when they get in there. Uh, So yeah, I'm saying 41-3. Awesome. Um, I'm going to say that Penn State does not score 41 points, but I do think that uh, they score a few more than Matt predicts at 28. I will go... (laughs) Uh, with 34 for the good guys, and I will go with let's give let's give Kent State 10. I'll say like a nice 34 to 10 football game. Uh, Penn State gets a couple of field goals out of Tyler Davis because that's one thing I want to see. I want to see Tyler Davis uh, see what he could do kicking field goals, and more importantly, I want to see what either Blake Gillikin or Alex Barbier are able to do on kickoffs because that is just going to be a really good time. And then for the first touchdown, guys, let's. Not oversimplify things. Let's just go with Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley gets the ball, and he just runs through Kent State's defense and route to a touchdown because he's Saquon Barkley, and that's just what he does. Uh, so I'll say Saquon Barkley on a, let's say, a nine-yard touchdown run. That sounds like it would be pretty nice. Uh, so yeah. That's the boring answer. It is a boring exciting. But I, I mean, I could say something really exciting, like Saquon Barkley scores the first touchdown of the year, but it's on a kick return, but I'm not going to do that because I don't yeah, get my hopes too go. far up. Penn, Penn State, uh, it, what is it? Uh, Chaz Powell in 2011 was their last kickoff return, and what was it, 07 or 08, Matt, the last punt return for a touchdown was? Uh, I believe the last punt return was uh, Derek Williams in 2008 against Illinois, but I'm sure one of our, our faithful readers will yes, remember that. If, if Matt's wrong, please let him know. And just because, well, and Nick fun. and Bill are actually looking this up right now to see if I'm right. I'm but actually I'm, not looking. I, it up I was I was at that game. That's the last one I remember, at least. So 
I'm age. just assuming that you're wrong, personally. <laughs> well, so you got like a 50-50 chance. Well, no, because there are a lot of football games that have happened between that game against Illinois and more. So it's probably a less than 50-50 chance if you're just guessing at something. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, let's wrap up this podcast uh, by going through and just picking the Big Ten, uh, picking the games that are going to happen this week. Uh, I think we keep it pretty pretty uh, easy, except for I'll ask you guys to expand on a few games. One of those games that we are not going to expand on is Indiana at Florida International. I think Indiana wins a really fun football game. Uh, and by that, I mean they score a lot more points than Florida International does. Uh, Matt, do you disagree? No, I, I, that could be like a 70-30 to 30 kind of game because it's Indiana. <laughs> I mean, every Indiana game is potential to be 70-30, to 30, so whatever. Uh, what do you think, uh, Nick? Go Hoosiers. Uh, yeah, go Hoosiers. We shout out to our friends over at Crimson Quarry. We love you guys. Kyle Robbins. Ben, whatever your last name is, I can't think of it right now, but you're a good dude. Uh, yeah, so next up, also on Thursday night, uh, kickoff at 9 p.m. on Big Ten Network. It is technically a game between two Power 5 teams. Oregon State at Minnesota. I think I'm leaning Minnesota. Uh, Nick, do you trust Gary Anderson's squad at all, or what? Yeah, why not? Go Minnesota. <laughs> oh, you're going Minnesota, not Oregon State? Yeah, I'm going to go. Uh, well, sorry. I, I didn't realize you said Gary Anderson. Yeah. But yeah, go Minnesota. I'm picking the Gophers. Yeah. Uh, Matt, are you brave enough to pick against first round NFL draft pick Mitch Leidner? I would never go against first round draft pick Mitch Leidner. <laughs> Plus, or- Oregon State, not good at football. So yeah, yeah. I believe the Gophers are about a two touchdown favorite, too, at home. Yeah. <sighs> Not a great team, but I, I think they are, they are significantly better than where Oregon State is at the moment. Yeah, I'm, so for Uprocks, I'm doing like their uh, – here are all the games you have to watch this weekend post, uh, and that should be out by the time you're listening to this, so please go read that. It will make me very happy. And I wrote about Oregon State at Minnesota for a game you should watch on Thursday solely because it's a football game that's going to be on television on Thursday. Uh, but you really don't have to watch that. You really don't. Uh, we can move on to Friday now when, um, yeah, Furman travels to play Sparty. Um, if you guys are interested in attending, there are 1,084 tickets available from $36 on the internet. Um, Matt, do you care at all about this game and, uh, will Michigan state name its score or do you think they're going to have some issues against mighty Furman? I care about this game because my girlfriend is a huge Michigan state fan. (laughs) And she's and if she's made it this far, then then I need to mention that in listening to this. Yeah. And also, I heard Mark D'Antonio on the radio today talking about how Furman's a better team than than people give them credit for. Um, but no, Michigan State by a lot. Okay, uh, Nick. Before we uh, have you answer, where is Furman University? Huh. Um, wherever Furbies are manufactured. Um. After this podcast, we will talk about all the things that are wrong with that sentence that you just said, but it is in North Carolina, uh, South Carolina, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Yeah. Do you think they have any chance? No. Okay. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) Now on to Saturday, uh, Eastern Kentucky plays Purdue, and somehow you you were able to get a ticket to this game 
the lowest price ticket for this game is $18, and that is not the cheapest ticket that is available for a Big Ten game this weekend. Uh, so we all think Purdue's going to win, which is a weird sentence, but that doesn't mean it's because Purdue is a good football team, correct, Matt? I think Purdue's a better football team than they've been under Daryl Hazel, yeah, yeah. but it, that's a pretty low bar. And also, Eastern Kentucky is, is the bad directional Kentucky, and uh, I will I will take Purdue in this one. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Nick? Are you brave enough to take an, a directional Kentucky team? I I really wish I was, but you know, it's hard to it's hard to argue against uh, future future first round pick. No, I can't even make that joke for Purdue. Yeah, no. They'll win, but it won't, it'll be Were you about to make an Austin Appleby joke? I was going to, but yeah. I couldn't finish the sentence. Um, next up is Howard at Maryland. Nick. Meh. Tie. <laughs> Matt, you're going with the tie as well, I assume. Someone will win this game 3-2. to two. <laughs> Ugh. Sure. Uh, yes. Now we get to an actually interesting game, and we'll spend a second talking about this. But Northwestern hosts Western Michigan. And Northwestern, they are, I think they're a better football team than people give them credit for, mostly because I usually don't give Northwestern credit, and they are better than I give them credit for, so I'm trying to buck that trend. But Western Michigan, they're one of those teams that is in the discussion. Like, Houston is pretty clearly the best group of five team in college football. But Western Michigan is, like, in that second tier, both because... They are, like, coached by a complete crazy person in friend of the podcast, PJ Fleck. And because they're actually just, like, legitimately, like, solid. Like, they're 45th nationally in 2017 in recruiting rankings. I'm looking at the MAC right now, and this is, like, a future thing, but it's just something fun to bring up. The second best team in the MAC, Western Michigan, is 45th. Bowling Green is the second best team, and this is not a bit. They are 69th in the country. Nice. There we mm-hmm. go. Uh, so, yeah, Northwestern is somewhat on upset alert, but uh, are either of you brave enough? Uh, Nick, we'll start with you because you're the crazy person who realizes this means nothing. Are you brave enough to take the fight and flex against the fight and Fitzgeralds? No, I like Anthony Aww. Walker and Justin Jackson too much. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Uh, Matt, what about you? Love Western Michigan, love Kalamazoo, but I, I don't think that uh, they have the horses, to no pun intended for the Broncos, to run with Northwestern here. Yeah, okay. That sounds you about sly right. dog. That sounds about right. Uh, now we get to my favorite game of the weekend, which is, well, my second favorite game of the week. We'll get to my favorite game of the weekend in a second. Uh, Hawaii at Michigan. And this is not my favorite game of the weekend because I think Hawaii has any chance. It's more of the fact that Hawaii last weekend was in Sydney, Australia. And then they had to fly back to Hawaii. And they just, to play this game, now have to fly to Ann Arbor for a kick that is going to be, I believe Hawaii is six or seven hours behind yeah, so this game is kicking off at noon Eastern, which for them is like 5 or 6 in the morning. So, how many points, Matt, does Michigan score in this game? 
Not as many as you think. Really? But they will, they will break 40. I will say this has like 45 to 3 or 45 nothing written all over it, and, it's be, and it just won't be very fun to watch because I don't think there's a Jim Harbaugh team that's very fun to watch. They're just going to pound the ball and pound the ball and pound the ball. Whoever starts at quarterback will probably throw the ball about 15 times at the most. Um, and they're just going to run it right at Hawaii until Hawaii proves they can stop it, and they're not going to. Um, I completely disagree with you. I think this is, like, you know how every year Baylor has that one game where they win, like, 70-3. to I think that I think that Michigan does that just because Jim Harbaugh is a crazy person in every sense of the word. Uh, Nick, let's go to you. What do you think out of this game? Like, th- how many points does Michigan score in Hawaii? Because that's really all I care about. I don't really think that our offense is going to be capable of scoring that many points at that point in the season. Uh, I mean, they might. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like talking about Michigan because I feel like I'm the only one that is at least a little overcautious about just anointing them as the kings of the Big Ten. I, I, I know Jim Harbaugh is like quarterback whisperer and all that, but... I want to at least see Spate or O'Corn, whoever ends up starting. Do we even know yet? I don't think we do. Uh, no, no, no. I th- they know and the yeah. team knows. But yeah, that's what it Harbaugh is. Harbaugh is but, basically saying we like, we're not yeah. Yeah. a genius. Yeah, I at least want to see that guy in action first before I just assume that he'll be the next uh, reincarnated Alex Smith or Colin Kaepernick or Jake Rudock. So I'm not, I'm not ready to say that they'll be able to put up 70 points uh just yet so i'll say something like i I like 38 nothing as a score and with that we became the five millionth media outlet this week to mention colin kaepernick moving on (laughs) dino babers is gone so i have no idea what to expect out of bowling green but they have to go to columbus where um i think that ohio state by the end of the year is going to be the best team in the big 10 i've probably mentioned that on here before but I think that this could be a game where it gets a little bit ugly and a little bit uh, like halftime is like 21 to 13 or something. Something that without context, it seems like Ohio State is struggling, but in context, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, Nick, what do you think about this one? JT is going to eat. Oh, yes, he 50, will. 51 10. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. I, I wrote about Ohio State for our for, for the team preview last week, and, and I, I knew they were good. I knew they had a ton of talent, but I started listing their their depth chart and reading up on on these guys that are replacing literally every position on the field other than quarterback, and it's terrifying how much talent they have. But I'm I'm looking right now at the the point spread for the game. Ohio State's a, a 28 point favorite, but the over under is 65. That leads to like, it's like a 42-20 kind of game, something like that. I'm not very good at math. So I, I think Bill's right. I think this is going to be you know, one of those games at halftime where it's probably going to look on the scoreboard a little bit closer than it probably is on the field. But I think Ohio State pulls away and wins comfortably. But it's going to take them a few weeks. They've got so much talent but so many holes to fill that it's going to take them you know, a month or so to, to try and figure out exactly where, where all the parts fit together. Yeah. And I just uh, looked it up. Hawaii is six hours behind Eastern Standard Time. So uh, that game is kicking off against uh, the Hawaii-Michigan game at 6 a.m. local. So 
God they go them. home after they after Australia, or they just go right to I the, think to they have I mean I think they would have to, just like if only to like switch planes and whatnot, but like if they, like do they have class? Is the University of Hawaii in class right now? I have no you're asking me? Uh, Where's Noel? Ask Noel. Noel. They go to <laughs> They go to class? I mean, I wouldn't, but I'm also a uh, complete degenerate. Uh, let's see. Their fall semester, yeah. Their first day of instruction began on August 22nd. So We are, it's, we are hitting all the, the yeah, highlights here on, the, it, on, on Warlines Radio. It is not crazy Time to zones, think. Time zones, the Hawaii, Hawaii class yeah. schedule. It's, so it's not crazy to think that they had to go back to Hawaii after playing a football game in Sydney, Australia, and sit through class for a week before flying out to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is absurd. Uh, but if you want to talk about absurd, we get to my favorite game of the weekend. Easily my favorite game of the weekend. It kicks off at 2 p.m. Eastern. Or if you are going to be at this game, 11 a.m. Because it takes place in Washington, where the number 14 Huskies take on Rutgers. And here's the thing. Washington is going to mall teams this year. They're going to be one of those teams that they play like good teams really close. But they're going to try and send a message against bad teams. And I don't think that Rutgers is very good. So I think this is going to just be brutal. Um, I, Matt, we'll start with you, but I think that Rutgers loses this game. Like, I, I think Washington goes Old Testament on them. Yeah, this is going to be, be a lot to not nearly <laughs> enough. Um, I, I really like Washington this year, which makes me like the, the millionth person that pretends to analyze college football to say that. But I... I think they're they and it's funny to say this because they're getting so much hype. I think they're almost overlooked to some degree though, because they just they've been off the radar for so long. Um, and I, I did find it as you as you may or may not know if you're listening to this. I am a, a Michigan resident, so I found on MLive.com Hawaii left for Ann Arbor on Wednesday, so they actually got here as we are recording this sometime <laughs> today after flying home from uh, Sydney. After the game last started, so they were they were at home in in beautiful Honolulu for about five days. The, the, I don't think the university is in Honolulu. Neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. We're gonna we're gonna push on talking about Rutgers getting whooped up on. Oh yeah, yeah, they're, they're gonna lose by a lot. Yeah, Nick. If I say that. Yeah, I honestly I have nothing to add to that conversation. <laughs> Everything yeah, I was your, your, your headphone is doing the thing that my headphone usually does. Uh, better yeah sure let's go with that okay yeah honestly i don't really have anything to add to any of that i feel like everything <laughs> i could say was said so good Including job the hawaii travel schedule yeah yeah, yeah. that was going to be my main point another game that has the potential to be pretty fun uh lsu and wisconsin are playing at lambeau field uh this means that we get to watch leonard fortnette play football which is always a good time I think Wisconsin wins a pretty – not Wisconsin wins. Oh, <laughs> no. LSU wins a pretty ugly game. Um, we've mentioned on here definitely that Wisconsin's going to be like the best 5-7 and seven or 6-6 six and six team in the country. And I think we see flashes of that in this game. Um, but, yeah, Leonard Fournette is just way too much. Uh, Nick? I think this game might be – a little closer than some people think it'll be. Yeah. Um, I mean, because Wisconsin will be, I think, completely healthy <laughs> heading into this game, which is something they were not last year. So I think they will put up more of a fight than people are assuming. 
mean, uh, Vince Beagle against Leonard Fournette should be a really interesting matchup because Beagle was awesome against the run last year. So I, I mean, I think LSU definitely wins, but I think Wisconsin's able to keep it within like somewhere in the range of 14, 10 points. And I okay, think some, I think some people are thinking it's going to be like a 20 point blowout. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking it's probably something like 28, 16 or something like just something ugly like that. Uh, Matt, what do you think? I, I agree with you on, on the score. I don't, I don't think it'll be that close. Uh, if you watch the game, I yeah, think the score yeah. will make it. Um, LSU never seems they really blow anyone out. Uh, you know, score-wise, they always let someone kind of hang around. Um, but I, I don't think that this game is all that close. And yeah. it's also a, a, a damn shame that these, this series was played in Houston and in Green Bay <laughs> when you've got two of the best collegiate atmospheres in the country with, uh, at Tiger Stadium and at Camp Randall. It's just yeah. Why would LSU and Wisconsin play a home-and-home home where you don't play at either of those stadiums is beyond me. Yeah. I mean, but, like, Green Bay at least makes a little sense. But, like, LSU going, yeah, we'll play a home game in Houston. Like, that's it's actually just, not that far away, but that's it, – It's still – yeah, I mean, just from, like, Lambeau Field, historic football field in the state of Wisconsin, like, Houston. I mean, Bill O'Brien plays there. But other than that, um, yeah, do you guys want to overlook Iowa? Yep. Okay, let's do that. Uh, Murray State at Illinois. Uh, the Fighting Loveys probably get their first win. Any dissent? Nope. Nope. I don't know what Murray State is, so no. Neither do. Well, I think they have like they play. They're good at basketball sometimes. I, I believe Isaiah Cannon, Sixers legend Isaiah Cannon, went to the Murray State, but I'll double check that. And finally, Fresno State at Nebraska. Matt, how does Nebraska end up losing this game by two points? Um, last second safety. Ooh! Yeah. Oh, that was. No, nice. I, I, I am. I am one of the many people very bullish on Nebraska this year. As you know, I I love some of the statistical stuff behind football, and the number of close games that Nebraska lost year. Oh, yeah. is almost mathematically impossible. I, yeah. I think if you actually look at it from a number standpoint, there's no way they should have done what they did last year, but they did because sports are awesome. Yeah. Um, and I don't think Fresno State's very good. Yeah. It's one of those programs where you always think they're supposed to be good and they haven't really been for like 15 years. Yeah. Plus it's in Lincoln. I, I'm looking at it again because I can never get enough joy out of this. Uh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. 10, 11. Yeah, five losses by 13 points. And the best team that they played, they beat them by one. And that was Michigan State. So On a, uh, on a horrendously... Oh, yeah, game. like they should not have won that game. But college football is weird. Um, yeah, Nick, uh, Fresno State, Nebraska, any, anything to add? Fun answer. Fresno ties it with a minute to go, goes for two just because, gets it, and Nebraska loses by two. <laughs> uh, Mike Riley would maybe have to frown if that happened, which I think, is a, <laughs> I think that's a sign of the apocalypse, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but yeah, that was our first uh, preview podcast of the year uh we hope you all enjoyed it we hope you all made it through and listened to the entire thing and if you did we really appreciate that uh i believe nick got the podcast onto itunes and onto google play so if you want i can't i can't confirm if it's on google play i can't okay so if you, if you can confirm it's on google play we would really appreciate you and uh nick will hand deliver a t-shirt to you or something but we are definitely on I, itunes i want to do that shut up Definitely on Let's iTunes. Well. We're on uh, SoundCloud, of course. That's probably how you're listening to us. But make sure you like, subscribe, 
uh, rate us highly, even if you don't actually believe that, all that stuff, we would really appreciate that. Of course, read everything that we got going on with Roar Lions Roar. We're really happy uh, to provide content for your pleasure, and we always love interacting with you guys. We don't want the comment section to just seem like we're, you know, rabbling on with each other. So please get in there. Let's talk about Penn State football together. Let's just talk about college football together. College football is back. We're excited. Watch Penn State this weekend. Have a great time doing it. Maybe get so happy that you buy a shirt. All that stuff. We love you for Nick Pollock, for Matt DeBear. I am Bill DeFilbo. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio.